Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover something new in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Natalie Kvorik. And I'm Tara Anderson. And our mission is to pioneer new conversations in ag and bring you the most relevant and trending topics in agriculture so that you can stay in the know. Today, we are coming to you live again from a conference. We are going to be talking to you guys about protein in our diets and a podcast we listen to that is all about when you need to be getting protein, how much you need to get. It's everything you need to know about protein. It was a very intense podcast. I picked it. Sorry about that. Um, oil and gas. What is going on with oil and gas and methane uh, being released out of uh, emissions from them? Yeah, this is um, this has a potential, I think, to be something really big, um, not just for our industry, but obviously other industries as well. So, And then finally, we're going to be telling you guys some fun facts about the food at your Thanksgiving table. Uh, it'll be exactly what you need to show up to the dinner table at Thanksgiving with um, kind of fun conversation starters. So, But before we get into that, let's thank this podcast's sponsor, Sustainable Agriculture Summit, um, where we are coming live to you from, which as Tara mentioned, we are in Glendale, Arizona for a two-day conference, um, as you guessed it, on sustainable agriculture. Yeah, this one's a really cool conference because it brings together like all aspects of agriculture, the food supply chain. Everybody is in the same room having conversations and like trying to drive things forward for sustainable ag. I think before we dive into, because we obviously want to bring the conversation to you guys as we always do when we attend conferences, um, we gathered some sound bites from other people who attended the conference that I think would be fun to play right now about their experience at Sustainable Ag Summit. So without further ado, here's a couple people we ran into at the conference and what they had to say about the Sustainable Agriculture Summit. Hi, I'm Abby Cornegy with the Animal Ag Alliance. It's great to be here at the Sustainable Ag Summit. It's good to see so many great partners from across the supply chain here to talk about sustainability. It's definitely important and it's a collaborative effort, so it's great to all be here together. Hi, I'm Dr. Marissa Haig. I'm the Director of Animal Welfare and Sustainable Farming for Fairlife. And today we touched on the topic of um, farm sustainability technologies and in making sure that those technologies as we develop them are acceptable at the consumer level. So we don't want to develop any of these technologies and then have consumer fear and mistrust around them. So we have to make sure we're positioning them in a way that we build consumer trust. My name is Robert Hagaford. I'm the Extension Dairy Specialist for New Mexico State University. We're currently at the uh, Sustainable Egg Summit in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, focusing on Western agriculture. And uh, we had a moderated a panel this week for the Alliance meeting on water. And so focusing on water issues, of course, that's extremely important to, uh, to Western agriculture and Western dairy. Okay, so jumping right in, you unfortunately had massive problems getting here. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I was supposed to get here Tuesday night, and I thankfully got here in time to hit the panel that you moderated, which was fun because I wanted to be there to support you. But yeah, it was a total, I mean, I'm probably preaching to the choir of a lot of people that are listening that are like, yeah, "Yeah, welcome to the world of having traveling problems. But that's the first time I've had traveling problems in a long time. So, and just the stress of, I mean, cause we had to moderate panels and we're here obviously for work. And so I think that adds, not that you like want to be stranded when you're going somewhere fun. Um, not that this isn't fun either. <laughs> I meant for like vacation. Um, but yeah, it just hasn't happened in a while. And so I think the anxiety of trying to get here and make sure I didn't miss out on stuff was just a whole to do, but I'm here. You're here. And I have some like hot takes for you. 
that you missed. Yeah, I want you to know. share about a couple of the panels before I arrived. Okay, so I think this one's going to be like very interesting. Um, obviously, we are in the West. So a lot of the conversations about like regional issues with like Western states. Um, and so water was a hot topic. Everybody was talking about water or the lack thereof. Which we've been saying, like, why aren't we talking about water enough? And mm-hmm. I feel like refreshingly enough, this conference is like hitting home the water issues. Yeah. So I feel like maybe you and I are a little bit guilty of sometimes saying like- Not us. We're never guilty of anything. Um, Guilty of like being like, but what about the urban population? So these are some facts that might surprise you. Uh, 45% population increase here in Arizona in the last 50 years and only an increase of 14% water use. I was pretty shocked. Like, and you think about all the economy, like the scale of economies they've grown here in Arizona. And so to only increase their water use by 14%, I thought that was really amazing. Snaps, so. snaps for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, their population has increased five times as many in that amount of time. And that's just to the Arizona. That was just Arizona. I was an Arizona lady. Um, basically, we're in a crisis. That was a big takeaway. <laughs> you text me, actually. Um, I, maybe I can't read what you said because I think you actually. This is a PG podcast. <laughs> but let's just say I text that things were not good. Yeah. You text me. Main point for this discussion. We have no water and we're all blank <laughs> and I was blank. like oh keeping it light and you're like yeah the lady was literally like sorry I don't have better news that was how she ended her conversation I was like that's what I got like off the stage mic drop um but she had some interesting ideas for reducing water I was just gonna ask like what these are gonna be controversial so I'm, I'm gonna say them these are not my words don't shoot the messenger pay smaller farms or less efficient farms to stop producing and save water for more efficient producers uh, I could see how. One? What did anyone in the room say anything? Uh, uh-uh, no, no, it was not a Q and A because I think she. Uh, um, this one though, I actually found really interesting. We are exporting thirty percent of the feed for cattle that we produce to other countries. So here in Arizona, there is a really large dairy in Saudi Arabia that has an alfalfa farm in Arizona, and they export all of their feed back to their dairy in Saudi Arabia. So maybe we need to make changes to what beneficial use for water rights means. Like have different regulations that like beneficial me- use means it needs to be going to farmers here or cities here in the United States before being exported. And I thought that was really interesting. She was like, that's going to be super controversial, but I thought it was interesting. It is interesting. I thought uh, you actually moderated a panel and one of the producers was um, from the Imperial Valley, which we talked about on the podcast last week um, about the Colorado River and the regulations with that. And I thought it was really powerful to hear firsthand. I mean, obviously we covered that story just from, you know, the luxury of our uh, home in New Mexico. Not that you're any better in water, but, you know, in Nebraska, we're sitting okay for now. Um, but I thought it was really powerful to hear his perspective as a producer in that area talking about water and how, I mean, he was frightened and he did not hold back. He was like, I am very concerned about getting winter vegetables, not for this year, but for the following years. Like, he said he's- next year. Like, this is not a long-term issue. This is a issue right now. He was very concerned, um, which, I mean, rightfully so. There was two other facts I thought people would love, like, not love to hear. Some of these are kind of like sad, so I don't know how to like word them. But the Maricopa County, which is the county we're currently in, is the number one county in the United States for losing farmland. And then the other one is Southwest farmers are significantly older on average than Midwest farmers. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I thought you would find that to be something interesting. So we shared, um, as we do when we go to conferences, or at least I do, I tweeted the heck out of (laughs) 
You're just over there. Tweet, tweet, tweet. I know. <laughs> so a lot of my favorite key takeaways are over on my Twitter, you guys, if you want to check that out about um, – you know, ideas that were, it was a really great conference. We attended Sustainable Ag Summit last year in Las Vegas. Um, and I feel like they do a really good job of putting on, it's less keynotes, more, I mean, it's almost all panels, um, which is interesting because you get so many voices brought to the table, so many different perspectives. And so there was just a lot of really good conversations. One breakout session that you were not there yet for that I thought was a big takeaway. Please keep reminding me of all the things I missed. I'm like a listener of this podcast. I'm like, oh, tell me what happened at Sustainable Ag Summit. This one was about eggs. We produced 95.6 billion eggs in the United States last year. Um, But this one was talking about that sustainability may look different than what consumers expect. So they were talking about how they are not free range because free range does not efficiently use land. So if you're actually being sustainable, you want to reduce land use. So they are cage-free but not free-range. And then um, they actually use antibiotics because they feel like that's a sustainable practice to use antibiotics and have that chicken live a longer, healthier life. I think that's actually like stepping back the big picture like takeaway for me coming back from this conference is this idea around because I feel like we've been having – it's been brought up a little bit here and there at all the different panels is this idea of, you know, how we view sustainability um, how, and not just how it can be different within the industry, but how it's different for producers versus consumers versus, you know, end of chain, um, the end of the food chain. And so I I don't know. I think I have this kind of new idea of getting on the conversation around, like, how far do we let consumers dictate what sustainability means? How far do we dictate what sustainability means? I don't know. I just I feel like it's like a new area for me to investigate. And that's a really interesting point you brought up about how what again, going back to like who knows best or, you know, what consumers want or think of when they see sustainability necessarily may not be sustainable. And so like we have to find that common ground to be like, you know, we're the this is our job. We're supposed to be the experts. Um, please trust us. And like, this is actually what sustainability is and what we're implementing on our operation to be considered sustainable. Completely agree. Um, another part of the conversation that I know you and I like harp on is the idea of the global sustainability versus local sustainability. And in that same panel, they were talking about how if the EU cannot be feeding or should not be feeding like soybeans to chickens because they are imported mainly from Brazil, which causes deforestation in Brazil. And it was like another like, okay, but so yeah, like if EU wants to do something, they're actually putting emissions off on Brazil. And then they were like here in the United States, it's fine to feed soybeans to chickens because we produce them locally. And so how it needs to, we need to be having conversations about like that sustainability is going to look so different in different countries and that we need to be looking at the entire picture, not just a single country. I think my, uh, way I want to end this sustainable ag conversation is, uh, something that was one from the panels where she said, everyone doesn't have to do everything, but everyone can do one thing. And I thought that was a really good approach to sustainability because it is such a, you know, varying thing. It's not a one size fits all. It's going to depend on your operation. So I think for anyone listening, you know, wherever you're at, um, know that we're working towards sustainability. Um, and if that's you and wanting to contribute to it, just remember, you don't have to get overwhelmed in doing everything, but you can do one thing. I will end with my final thing that also um, sustainability doesn't have to be high tech. The panel that you and I finished out or the panel we just listened to together was about having like low tech things that were around animal welfare that actually improve sustainability. And so just remembering that like sustainability just 
so varies so widely. And it's really about all the pieces of your farm working together, not separate. I'm so guilty of forgetting how far animal welfare goes in sustainability. I feel like I'm just like, I know. And I feel like I'm just like, oh, check box. Like we're doing a good job, but you know. So it was an amazing conference. We're excited to like continue to bring you more of this. So thank you to Sustainable Ag Summit for hosting Natalie and I, allowing us to moderate a couple panels and to bring you guys this podcast. Okay, so I have been super excited about this podcast more than my co-host. Not that I'm not excited. I was just you. So Tara texted me this and was like, listen to this podcast. It's really interesting. Like I want to cover it for our podcast. And... I feel like I should preface this conversation with the fact that my uncle, he does um, medical device research and like owns a medical device company in California. He sent me this. So it is like very technical, high level. Listen, you put me back in two hours of pharmacy school, two hours. So we're going to break it down for you in not two hours because it did have really great key takeaways. Yes. So it's about dietary protein, amount needed, ideal timing, quality, and more. By Don, with Don Lehman. Yes. I think the biggest thing for me was the amount – I knew this, but like the amount of protein that gets absorbed or is bioavailable in beef versus soy versus wheat. So in like beef protein, it's about 95% of it is absorbed. Soy, it's about 60%. And wheat, it's about 40 And I felt like he took a very like – I don't know, just great approach to like the conversation around like – eating animal protein versus being a vegan. Like he was just very diplomatic, straightforward. If you choose to be vegan or vegetarian, you need to eat even more protein because your protein is not as bioavailable. Yeah. So, um, the interviewee Don Lehman was a professor, um, a professor in food science, but he does a lot of consulting for food companies. Um, and his research areas around muscle development, protein, and amino acid metabolism, it just keeps going and nutrition in context of athletic performance, obesity, diabetes, and metabolic health. Um, so I think my key takeaway, and this is going to sound like so simple, especially for a two-hour podcast I was talking about, like, lysine and glutathione and the 20 essential amino acids. <laughs> um, but I think it is really, truly how undervaluing we're – how we're undervaluing protein. And I'm totally guilty of it. I feel like it – I eat protein all the time. I believe in it. I want it in our diet. I want my – I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, Jax is going to die. He's not getting enough protein. <laughs> I'm like, he's not surviving off his goldfish diet. I've got to, like, <laughs> fix this sooner than later. Um but I think hearing them talk about protein at that high level of a scientific conversation just really, again, it sounds so simple, but it just made me appreciate protein more and really think about it in my diet more than I already do, which I feel like is a lot. So going back to people like vegetarians or vegans who really don't have it in their diet, I'm just, it made me more concerned for people who aren't getting the proper amounts of protein. Yeah. And he was really interesting about what times a day and how much you need to start your day with at least 30 grams. He said to kickstart like all your cycles, the breakdown of the protein building, like lean muscle. Then in the middle of the day, you need like another 20 to 30. And then you need to end the day with another like heavy hitter, like 40 grams protein. And I thought that was like, that's like, I don't know. I just feel like when we see so much too about like intermittent fasting and all like these fad things and to hear like a scientist be like, you need protein as soon as you wake up and you need protein before you go to bed. So one thing he also brought up was uh, the New York public schools 
it was kind of casual and they didn't talk about it for very long. But again, going back to like made me scared. They were his statement about, you know, that if for anyone listening who's not aware, but New York Public Schools does um, vegan or vegetarian, not vegan, vegetarian options. Or I guess I'm not sure which one. They have like a common, they have multiple days that are like vegan days. He said, this is how he summed it up. He said, I feel like we're conducting a public health experiment with no knowledge of what it will do. Um, as we're diluting quality and quantity of protein. Um, and he said, it's extremely frightening. And again, that just kind of made me pause. Like I was like, how do we get, you know, the mayor of New York city to yes, be aware of, again, it just the actual detriment and harm to our bodies of not getting enough protein. I think, I think, I mean that he said that in the beginning that the way he thinks about protein is we don't actually have a requirement for protein, but we do have a requirement for the nine essential amino acids to build the protein. And the way he said it was that we don't have a requirement for multivitamins, but we do have a requirement for, you know, what makes up the multivitamin. And that was, I think, made like sense for me about how important it really, like, I don't, we're not, we don't care enough about protein. We, we know more people on protein soapboxes now. <laughs> Where are those people? So um, Mayor Eric <laughs> okay. Adams We're starting New York it. City, if the mayor's listening, come on our podcast and we'll break it down for you. So two things that I want to mention from it about cattle, since like, I don't know, I feel like we're kind of like cattle girlies, is cattles, cattle are incredible. They are the only thing on the planet that can turn. Welcome to my Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> that can like make protein. So they, when they consume 60 grams of plant protein and incomplete protein, they have a like gut bacteria that will upcycle 60 grams of incomplete protein into 100 grams of complete protein. That's amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. Why are we not like shouting that from the rooftops? And then I loved this quote and I thought you would enjoy it too is there is no question that ruminant animals play a very important role in our food system. We cannot easily replace them. We cannot pretend that we can take grassland and grow avocados. And I was like, I think I clapped in my car when he said that. You're like, oh shoot, hands on the steering wheel. I was like, oh yeah, no one's here. He doesn't know I'm clapping for him. Um, so, I mean, the other thing, well, I have so many notes on this. So if you want to listen to this. this is you guys, note. you don't want to listen. <sighs> oh, you're going to say fast forward to like 52 minutes in. 52 minutes in. 52 minutes in for the next like, there's like 20 minutes in there that are just golden. Apparently I forgot to tell Natalie yeah, that. Yeah, that tidbit would have been helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I thought was interesting, it was right at the very end. So I'm glad I like hung on to listen to it all. But he did talk about funding because he said that um, a lot of his funding, the, the interviewer asked him and was like, well, let me find my note about it. Um, well, people are going to say you're biased because you're industry funded. And he said, I went to NIH, National Institute of Health, and they turned me down. He's like, I repetitively went to them and told them I had this idea. I want to study protein and they would not fund me. And he said, so then what am I going to do? Like not do the research. And so he said, so then I went to who cared about it. And that was food companies. Um, and he said, so am I biased? Um, he said, no, I never believe in research until I read it and see it in three more labs. And, um, and it only gets stronger as you go. And he said, that's been my research as well. Like it's been out there for 20 years and it's just getting stronger the longer it's out there. Um, and he said, I don't know anyone in nutrition that doesn't get industry funded. Animal commodities are under, oh, this is a different point. But um, I thought it was interesting because we talked about like how Frank Mittloner is under gas right now for being like industry funded. And I just thought it was like an interesting perspective he shared about like, listen, I tried to go elsewhere. And just because you're industry funded, like it, it doesn't matter. And he's like, everyone's doing it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. 
that sums that up. There's a lot more to it. Go give it a listen if you have two hours. There is. There's one more thing I want to say because I think this is important for people to hear. Um, he said that animal commodities are under USDA supervision. So everything that uh, we say as an industry is screened. Um, he said the grain industry, like Pillsbury, Kellogg, Coke, Pepsi, he's like, they can say anything they want. It's literally, you know, first amendment for them. Like I can say it. Um, so they can be like, I'm an egg pretending to be an egg and it that I'm better than eggs and it doesn't matter. But if we were to say that would be screen scrutinized and made sure it's true. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective that I don't think is as a cons- for a consumer is shed light on enough. Um, I always get asked. So this is actually another, I have lots of soapboxes. This is another one. I've talked about this on my Instagram that like we, we can't attack either, like not attack, but we can't say like, here's why cow's milk is better than a different milk alternative. We can't even do that as an industry. And yet they can like put any claim they want out there. And so it is kind of wild. Like it's like, we're so regulated and they're not. So it's just something to think about when you see like different advertisements, like who is approving that we're being approved by USDA. So moving into our second news piece that you guys need to know about agriculture this week, it it is. So this from The Guardian, it is oil and gas greenhouse emissions three times higher than producers claim. Um, Big Sky Caroline has actually been doing some really great coverage of this. Um, and that's where I was actually exposed to it first. So we'll share some of her reels um, to our Discover Ag Instagram page stories if you guys want to check them out. Yeah. So basically oil and gas have like emission leaks, like methane leaks in their like supply chain as they're producing oil and gas. And it is being vastly underreported. I mean, and there is even claims out there. I've seen some stuff that they know it's being underreported and obviously they're not going to like self-regulate. And so when we look at like global numbers for emissions and we see like the percentage that is ag, we probably are a significant smaller percentage and oil and gas is probably even bigger than what we realized because of all of these like leaks. Yeah. And not to make it like industry versus industry, I, know, I don't want to do that. Either. <clears throat> but I just think it's important. Well, a couple things. One, we can only measure what we know. So we can't like progress and get better across all industries if we're not having an accurate representation of like what's actually going on. Um, And two, I just think, I guess, from like a consumer standpoint, um, I just feel like they deserve to have like a better understanding and picture. So do we um, of like, again, like what's actually going on? Um, I don't know. So one of the things that's really interesting is obviously, like you said, we can't unless we we can't manage it if we can't measure it. And so the way they're measuring it is with um, like NASA satellites. Satellites are now detecting like these emissions, these leaks, they're detecting methane. So we can actually like pinpoint like certain geographical locations and be like, okay, what's going on in that area and why is it really high? Um, which I think could be, it will be good. It'll be interesting to you see, I think of how it's used like against agriculture as well. Like, are we going to be like flying a satellite over a feedlot and being like, oh, well look at their emissions. Like I just, I hope that with this new technology, it gives us more information to be- make better management decisions, but also at the same time, like, is used wisely. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I don't want to sound like earlier, like, I don't, don't want them to be held, like, responsible because I think it's, it's like, not fair that they're under, yeah. it's being underreported, whether it's intentional or not, like, whether they truly do know or not, like, we need accurate representation, which I thought was, I think for me was one of the interesting things about this article is that, like, up until, the, the way I understood, at least up until now, we haven't been able to 
accurately, I don't know if it's like prove or tell that there is an omission, but now we can. Now we can like compare. I'm trying to find the quote about it, but now we can actually compare and basically hold people more accountable for like, really, because we measured this, you reported this amount, but we measured this amount. So where did this like excess amount go? Like now we have the tools and capability to do that. And I think for me out of this article or this idea that's floating around, it's not so much like, well, ag may be less and oil may be more, but now it's like, okay, well, we may have a more level playing field and we may more have like true representation and accuracy. And I think that's really important. Agreed. They talk a little bit in this article that we have from the Guardian too about like what's going, what happened at COP twenty seven. So um, I think it'll be interesting as articles continue coming out about that, about what they found out, what they were talking about, you know, all that good stuff. Okay, you good on that one? Yeah, I'm moving right on to Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. I hope if anyone's traveling, I hope you guys, um, you know, travel safely to wherever you are. And I'll be super honest. Thanksgiving is like my least favorite holiday, actually. So I don't want to be like a downer, but I'm like, you know, happy Thanksgiving. But I'm I don't know. It's just not my favorite holiday. Like I don't like get all up in into it. I'm not. I mean, I like it. I don't know that I get like super into most holidays. I'm pretty into Halloween. Oh, I love Christmas. Luke's birthday is the end of November. And so growing up, his family had this rule, his dear mother, that they could not start putting up Christmas decorations or anything until after his birthday. I mean, he's almost like a 40-year-old man and we're still abiding by this rule. And it's just frustrating because I love Christmas so much. So maybe that's why I'm even more angry. I'm like, could just Thanksgiving get here and Luke's birthday and we can just start the Christmas like festivities, you know? Wow. I know. Anyway. You're like a Thanksgiving Grinch. (laughs) I'm a Christmas girly. That's what I am. I am like a don't decorate until after Thanksgiving person. I don't, that's just, I don't know. I'm going to set up my tree the Saturday after Thanksgiving and I will take it down like the Saturday afternoon. Oh, I really think I would decorate now if I could. Do uh, do it. I can't. Just put a birthday cake yeah. on top of it. <laughs> that would be really funny. Nothing could be worse than the time that I had Daniel's birthday cake. I got Daniel a birthday cake and it said happy birthday, Mark. Yeah. My I husband's know. name. Still Daniel. my favorite. I text him like every year on his birthday, like a different name, like happy birthday, Louie, you know, <laughs> happy birthday, John. Like just in my defense, I was super pregnant and they definitely showed me the cake and I was like, yep, looks great. Walked out the store with it. And then we're all singing and Dan's like, who's Mark? So tell Luke like happy, merry birthday. Okay, hit us with your Thanksgiving facts. I'm trying not to look at your screen because I want to be wowed by them. Americans buy 365 million pounds of turkey the week of Thanksgiving. I'm sure the turkey industry, unlike me, loves Thanksgiving. I'm sure they're like, this keeps us in business. (laughs) I wonder what the spread is of turkey bought throughout the year versus the week. Oh, you got it. Okay, hit us. 77 million pounds of ham is purchased the week of Thanksgiving. That's not what I was going to say. Oh, I want to know throughout the year, the 300 and how much, like what's the percentage of turkey throughout the year bought for Thanksgiving versus the rest of the year? Like how important is Thanksgiving to the turkey industry? Ooh, that's a good one. We should find out. I'm sorry. I was going in a different direction of what the spread is of who's not buying turkey. 77 million pounds of ham. I, I always ask for a steak. If it's up to me, I'm like, can we actually not have turkey? Sorry, turkey farmers don't come at me. I just would rather have a steak. We have always done turkey or ham, both my family and Luke's family. Let's hear from you guys. Do you guys do anything besides turkey? We do at Christmas, but not Thanksgiving. 40.5 million rolls are purchased. 50 million pounds of sweet potatoes. Also, sweet potatoes are not a potato. Fun fact. 
70% of Americans have Thanksgiving foods they don't like, but they eat them just because they're supposed to. And I hate to tell the cranberry farmers, but cranberry, canned cranberries was high on that list of foods. People are like, I don't know. I just eat them because we're supposed to. Um, cranberries do not grow in water. They float in water, and that's why they're harvested. Uh, top five states for growing cranberries, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington. Thought those were fun cranberry facts. Um, 40% of Campbell's total sales of cream of mushroom soup leading up to the holidays. And it's mostly going into green bean casserole dishes. Okay, I've got our follow-up. Even though both the potato and sweet potato originated from Central and South America, they are actually not related. They come from different families with the potato coming from the nightshade and the sweet potato coming from the morning glory family. So it sounds like uh, regular potatoes are tubers and sweet potatoes are considered to be root vegetables. Yeah, and they're one of the, I mean, yeah, you said they're local to North America. So I think that's cool. Um, this last, this is my last one. I have lots, but this will be my last one. Americans eat between 2,500 and 4,500 calories during Thanksgiving, which is equivalent to eating four to eight Big Macs in one meal. That's nuts. That that's nuts. a lot of food. <laughs> so, oh, I guess the last one, if you're worried about gaining weight, it's actually a myth. Most people only gain less than a pound over the holidays, the whole entire holidays. So enjoy your meal. Don't stress about it. (laughs) From the mouth of Tara. Yeah, Yeah, with all of my infinite wisdom of dietary restrictions. Get your protein in, going back to the first one. Just make sure you do that, and then everything else will fall into place. So I hope you guys enjoyed those. If you guys have any other fun facts about Thanksgiving, I'd love to know. So you will not hear from us on Thursday since it is Thanksgiving. So we hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. And we will be back on uh, Tuesday, November 29th. We um, finally have our long-awaited book club. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I think um, you guys have been enjoying it a lot, too. It's been fun seeing you guys kind of share on social media um, who's reading it, what you guys are taking away from it. Um, It's the gap and the gain. Mm -hmm. And we'll be with Coach Kaya. And you can always, if you are not a part of our book club community and like to be, you can always go to our website. The sign-up form is there. So we would love to have you guys. We love growing that community. And last thing, we want to remind you guys that we are currently accepting applications for our Elevate the Summit Mastermind. It is a two-month-long mastermind with an in-person retreat in Justin, Texas. The retreat will be January 30th through February first. And we hope that if you guys are looking to really accelerate your business, grow your business, take your business to the next level, apply for this mastermind. We have some great uh, testimonials from our previous students. And it was just such a great time to come together, but then also continue our conversations over a two-month period to really help you excel your business. Yeah. And I know for anyone listening who, you know, wants to invest in themselves and is hesitant, we get it. Um, You know, everything comes with a price point and sometimes it can be very scary to invest in yourselves. But truly, we're not making this up when we say the best thing we've ever done to grow our businesses and grow ourselves is investment. I can look back. I mean, we've invested it just right now. We're in a course for podcasting to better our podcast. So, I mean, the first time I ever invested since then and I, the return I, I saw that it put on my business, I have not started another business venture without an investment in it some way or the other. So I just cannot recommend it enough. I know I'm slightly biased because it's my own <laughs> summit and retreat, but we, we don't know how many of these we're going to do next year. So if you are looking to invest in yourself, I, I truly think our Elevate Summit is just, it's really beautifully created with the in-person portion and the calls it being small group, you know, really gets one-on-one. So 
I know it could be hard to take that leap to invest in yourself if you've never done it before, but truly, if you're looking to go big places next year in 2023, I would highly recommend thinking about investing in yourself. And I would love it if you chose our summit as what you, um, you know, chose. I have one testimonial from a student. The summit is not a make you feel good mastermind. It's a let's get beep done mastermind. I left feeling good, but in a tired, I just got my butt kicked shape kind of feel good. 20 out of 10 would recommend. If you want more information, head to our website, elevateyouragstory.com forward slash summit, or you feel free to find us on Instagram and ask us any questions you might have. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. And we'll see you next week.